0: Welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music. And just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at CMiriam, that's C-M-I-R-I-A-M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. Today, we're talking about justice for unhoused people and continuing our discussion from last week on the violent response by the Minneapolis Parks and Recreation Board, on those who have been living in an encampment at Powderhorn Park. And just a reminder, if you've got feedback on a story or a story tip, please email us. Again, that's the Radical News Radio Hour at gmail.com. Today, we're joined by Shruthi Khamasetti, an organizer with Parks and Power, a program of Hope Community. Shruthi will be discussing last week's press conference, as well as action steps that folks can take and community recommended permanent solutions to the issues of housing and justice faced uh facing unhoused Minneapolis residents here's that
1: pre-recorded interview hi Sharuthi. uh it's so good to have you on the radical news radio hour today how are you doing
2: i'm good how are you
1: i am i'm doing all right it's uh it's really hot outside today uh that's not my favorite weather um so Really glad to be able to speak with you about what's happening with Parks and Power and what's happening in the Minneapolis parks. We were able to discuss it briefly last week on the show, and I know that our audience is um, really keen to know more and understand more and figure out how they can step up and take action. Um, Can you start by just introducing yourself
2: a bit? For sure. Uh, my name is Shruti. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a woman of color, a uh, South Asian community organizer with Hope Community and specifically Parks in Power. Uh, parks in Power is a campaign uh, located at Hope, and we advance racial, economic, and gender justice in the Minneapolis parks. And through the Minneapolis parks, we have been around for about Ten years uh, or more, um, but officially as Parks and Power uh, for a few years, branded as Parks and Power.
1: And I know that there was a press conference last week in the at, um, in the Minneapolis parks, and I know we reported we had a small segment uh, from one of our reporters on the show. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening um, in the parks and just maybe start with the press conference, the most recent things first and then we can work our way back.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, So the press conference that you just referred to that happened last Wednesday uh, was in collaboration with the Minneapolis Sanctuary Movement. Uh, The Minneapolis Sanctuary Movement has been working with um, unhoused neighbors, unhoused residents in our encampments that formed after, after the Minneapolis uprising. Um, The encampments really formed um, this year after folks in the Sheraton Hotel that was occupied by and um, taken over by community members, because there was no safe place for folks who didn't have housing to go. And after um, folks were evicted from the Sheraton Hotel, um, people's last resort was like, all right, let's go set up camp in the parks and live there. and so the Minneapolis Sanctuary Movement has been coordinating supplies, um, really having a presence at different encampments, um, and coordinating a lot of different volunteers. Um, and Parks and Power is part of this ecosystem, kind of helping out with, um, you know, just kind of popular education about the role of the Park Board, um, the origins of the Park Board on stolen indigenous land, Dakota land here in Minneapolis. And making sure that we, uh, as a nonprofit partner, can really um, amplify and boost demands of the park board. Um, the most recent demand from this press conference um, were for the park board to stop evictions. So the press conference really came from a couple, uh, a week ago, uh, where there were evictions at Powderhorn Park. So currently, as we speak, there are no encampments. There is not any encampments at Powderhorn anymore. The Powderhorn East encampment was evicted um, almost a month ago, I believe, and Powderhorn West encampment on the other side of the park in Powderhorn was evicted um, two Fridays ago. And police, Park Police and Minneapolis Police showed up armed. um, and. You know, cordoned off the area, threw people's belongings away, arrested a few residents who were trying to salvage, you know, really save their belongings. And so Parks and Power, in collaboration with the Minneapolis Sanctuary Movement, got together to um, really demand that the Minneapolis Park Board, in particular, um, stop evictions because uh, from our analysis, from our conversations, talking with residents, talking to organizers, it's clear that. The Minneapolis Park Board Superintendent, Al Bangora, uh, does have a lot of unilateral power in deciding which encampments have to be evicted or not based off of crime and safety, quote unquote, crime and safety. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So we're part of an ecosystem that feels really important to name that. Uh, we're not the only ones that are supporting encampments. It's like really um, a lot of volunteers, some nonprofit partners, but as a Parks and Power working as a nonprofit, we're part of the whole community nonprofit. So we're really trying hard to understand that power dynamic and really show up where we're needed. Um, and my colleague, Jake Verden, who isn't here today, uh, he's actually uh, on vacation, um, has been all working really hard uh, with the Minneapolis sanctuary movement. And I've been supporting that work, kind of showing up wherever we're needed. Wonderful. So- you
1: mentioned that this is a justice movement for unhoused people on land that is stolen from indigenous peoples, an indigenous justice issue. Can you talk about some of the other issues and justices and injustices that are happening around this and ways that um, the ways in which people can maybe tap in to learn more about what's happening?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a housing justice issue, you know, um, and We all know living in the Twin Cities and hearing from friends and comrades in other cities and other parts of the country and other parts of the world that rent is going up, places are getting gentrified, property values are going up, people have to foreclose on their homes, like people are in debt. A lot of people, a vast majority of people are. Um, And so this is definitely a housing justice issue because there are a lot of reasons why people can't either afford to live in housing are not able to meet the requirements that a lot of landlords have and unchecked power that landlords have over uh, potential renters, you know, and tenant rights. And so um, with like the eviction moratorium that was just extended, um, we have like a, you know, even if it's extended, eviction still will happen. And that's really unfortunate and shouldn't happen at all. Like, what we really needed was, you know, cancellation of rent, cancellation of mortgages, and there's money for that, you know, like, instead of um, going out rental assistance, which is very much needed, sure, but what if we had a cancellation of rent? Um, But to go back to the main main thing that we were talking about, housing justice is a big part of this, and, um, you know, land back, land back to indigenous people who have stewarded this land once and uh, were violently, um, you know, removed from their own lands and, you know, put on reservations and, you know, that's just, it's not okay and a vast majority of folks who are in unhoused today are indigenous and native to this land. Um, so that's an issue um, and obviously I'm not, I'm not indigenous and can't speak to that uh, on a personal emotional level. But um, have talked to people who are uh, indigenous and are organizing kind of conversations with other indigenous folks about land back and um, restoration uh, in that sense. Um, Another issue that comes to mind is police, policing. (laughs) Policing is such a um, violent thing and it's not uh, hard to recognize how violent they are, I mean, you could show up at an eviction and just watch how uh, police have been deployed to trash people's belongings and enforce evictions. That's an issue, you know, Uh especially looking at the park board and um, if they're talking about justice and equity, you know, in their mission statement, how can they deploy police and not just park police, which is its own separate force, also the Minneapolis Police Department you know, and working together, these two police forces working together to enforce evictions is just not right. Um, and you know, there there were a couple of residents who were arrested on um, on two Fridays ago trying to protect their belongings, and that's not right. No one should ever be arrested for that. Um, so, yeah. I think those are the big issues that come to mind. Um, And one last thing I'll name is that, you know, we need more funding for youth programs. We need funding for free childcare. We need funding for, you know, folks who can mediate conflict. You know, like we need to start to step away from policing um, and really invest in forms of healing um, that um, I think the park board could really take take an opportunity to invest in and take, you know, step up and do that, Um, you know, defund the park police and invest it in other things, other programs, Um, yeah, that's just a a thought.
1: (laughs) Wonderful, thank you. So aside from taking on Minneapolis parks and wanting to support unhoused people as they kind of undergo this violence by city and state actors. What are organizations like yours doing on city level, state level to try and – I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is like there needs to be a solution other than there needs to be a permanent solution. People need permanent housing. So what's being done and is anything being done, um, and and not to say that it's even – Necessarily, what Parks and Power should be doing, or even the Minneapolis Sanctuary Movement, because people are just people. But what mm-hmm. is being done to take on and hold, um, you know, legislators and city council members accountable to what's happening in the parks?
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, yeah, I agree. Permanent solutions um, are so important, and that's what people who've been living in the encampments have been calling for since the start. So articulating, like you know, really articulating like what they want, what they need is permanent, dignified housing, not emergency shelters. And I know the Minneapolis Sanctuary Movement has been really amplifying those demands from folks who are living in the encampments. And Parks and Power concurrently has also been amplifying and boosting those demands. We need permanent housing. There's a reason why people are in these encampments. Is because like. That's like a lot of folks, the vast majority in encampments have said that they want permanent housing. Um, and so we need to give people that opportunity if they still want that, you know. And uh, really, um, the park board, you know, is not, taking it back to the park board for a sec. The park board is not responsible for that. The park board doesn't have the resources for that, and the park board has no experience in providing housing to people. However, that does not like... There's a reason why people have been in these encampments for a few months now. And it's complicated and we can't romanticize that. And it's hard and it's challenging and there are things that come up and people have trauma. People who are housed have trauma, people who are unhoused have trauma, things like really manifest in a lot of different ways and not a lot of, you know, there's a reason why. Um, And it's challenging and it's hard, but like people have been saying. (laughs) from the start, like permanent housing now, and there are so many vacant commercial buildings or vacant like luxury condos out there, you know, like what is the state doing? There's vacant hotels right now. Not every, not no one's coming here to visit, you know, like the state has like the financial capability to purchase these hotels and uh, purchase these empty housing units, you know, that are not being used currently. So it's just, I think violence, if there are, Places where people could live in a dignified way mm-hmm. while they're not being filled. There's no one there. Like, it's kind of like these luxury condos and developers are kind of waiting for another boom to happen and people to move here and waiting for folks to gentrify the city. And they're kind of like, you know, waiting, um, projecting, you know, they probably have their numbers and their graphs and their stats and they're projecting that. So, X number of people will move to Minnesota, Minneapolis. In five years, like we're going to build all these buildings for them and then, you know, raise property values and parks are a part of that. You know, people want to live by a park. Um, So it just is violence, I think, to think that people can recreate in the parks and like hang out by a lake, but people can't live there, you know. Mm So, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question.
1: (laughs) No, I I think you did and I appreciate that. Um, I also think it speaks to just the size of the issue. I've i kind of hinted at it, but this is this is a justice movement for unhealth people. It is an Indigenous justice movement. It's also about making sure people have access to the basic, you know, like needs like child care and food and all these things. It is so many different intersecting issues and I think as organizers it's really easy to try and grasp onto one one of many handles, knowing that there's a hundred to choose from. For sure.
2: Yeah. And like Parks and Power has really been, I think in the ways that we've been involved since the start, like my colleague Jake was uh, kind of at the first inceptions of this where, you know, people from the community kind of stepped up and who you know, believe in anarchism, which is awesome, you know, and they really organized like a decentralized food distribution um, and resource distribution at the start of the pandemic in PV parks. and that's where this movement really started, I think, in my view um, in this year. Um, and you know people just kind of stepped up in the community and were' not necessarily affiliated with any nonprofit or any foundation, but we're just like, okay, they saw a need and they felt and they're meeting that need. Um, and it's really about, you know, service, and I don't mean to use that in like a derogatory way or like a service in that we're going to serve you as a client. Um, but there's something in like service, um, and in Sanskrit, there's a word called seva, and seva is about just giving, like from the heart, and in the doing, there's so much, um I just see a lot of people talking and mulling on issues and like, you know, armchair politicizing and stuff like that, politicking. And it's so important to sometimes just step up and reflect for sure, but do as well. And so in the service, there's a lot of, um, yeah, important, um, we're reimagining a new world in in what we do. Um, So, yeah, Parks and Power is here to support and boost demands from our um, unhoused comrades and neighbors, and people at, in this ecosystem, you know, and um, here to leverage our relationships with the park board and our knowledge of the park board too.
1: Wonderful. Um, thank you so much for sharing that and for that analysis. I think it's really crucial to the to the work and just to the ways in which this show's been trying to inform people about different local movements. Can you maybe name? one, two or three ways that people can support what's happening. So whether it's a donate or resource drop off since the encampments aren't in Powderhorn, but there are still encampments in other Minneapolis parks. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's mm-hmm. a really great question. Um I would suggest people follow the Minneapolis Sanctuary movement. Uh their Twitter and Instagram is like full of resources. Also like Southside Harm Reduction has been a a, a favorite. Um, they're really doing important work out here uh, to support harm reduction and have been doing like Narcan training. Um, yeah, so those are two places I'd suggest people follow in terms of like social media. Uh, in terms of supply runs, um, hard to kind of pin down any one um, place to go to have like a centralized like, okay, this is where supplies are needed, um, so it's pretty decentralized right now. Um, in my view, and I think like the best way for someone to consistently show up in terms of supplies for an encampment is to just kind of show up at an encampment. Let's say, for example, Logan Park, like if someone lives by Logan Park, they're more likely to show up, you know, in a sustainable way. Um, So I would suggest people just kind of show up there and talk to organizers at those camps or residents at those camps, like what their needs are, And, and those needs seem to change daily or are pretty consistent depending on which camp you go to. Um, so if people have like, you know, capability or capacity, like organizing resources and dropping them off places where folks need them is a really great way to I think, show up. Um, and yeah, follow Parks and Power on our social media. We don't have any action opportunities right this moment um, in terms of encampments, um, but I'm sure there will be more to come, more updates. And uh, just to plug. Uh, just another plug, um, we have a COVID testing testing site tomorrow at Calvary Church in South Minneapolis, um, free. You don't need an ID, you don't need insurance, 2 to 6 p.m. Calvary Park in south, on the south side, um, right opposite South Park. And um, so that's uh, just to, uh, yeah, go get tested if you can.
1: Wonderful. And do you host those tests um, often?
2: Uh, This is the first one. We've been truly working hard with some community members at Family Tree Clinic um, to make sure that it happens. (laughs) And so this is the first one, Tuesday and Wednesday this week, uh, and hoping for more. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for speaking
1: with me today. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Thanks to Shruti for joining us for that segment. We'll continue to follow along with these issues related to housing justice in Minneapolis-St. Paul as the show progresses. Early Monday morning, I received a press release from SEIU Local 26 about the death of a union member, the second union member to die of COVID-19. I wasn't able to attend the press conference, but there is live audio from that press conference, and I want to air um, a segment of it for all of you to hear. Because the press conference occurred outside, the audio can be a bit temperamental, uh, so my apologies for that. And credit to SEIU Local 26 for that audio and and video. Just a note, during this next bit of audio from that press conference, the speaker is speaking to the daughter of the individual who died over the phone. She'll begin by explaining that that daughter had to leave uh, the state to go work a job in order to be able to support the family and is speaking to the press conference over the phone.
3: As she has had to go out of state for work, um, to continue to contribute um, for family expenses and just trying to keep the family afloat. Uh, He was 66 years old and had been a member of Local 26 since 2017. He was a striking janitor and helped to land our most historic uh, contract this past year. And as you all recall, just right when all of this was coming uh, to be more and more of a reality for us. Um, we do wanna hold uh, just a moment of silence Uh, to honor our member, uh, essential worker, and janitor. He was a father and a husband, and we are absolutely heartbroken and upset to be here with you again, uh, to share that we have lost another member. We are a union of 8,000, security officers, window washers, and more. Our union is majority immigrant and people of color. Some of the members of the media may uh, be, uh, recall that a few months back, we had talked about our first death, Armando Solis. The members of Local 26 are put in harm's way and are bearing the brunt terrible virus. And as I mentioned with you, he was 66. And after talking with the family members uh, over the past couple of weeks, we have now become public and also wanted to honor him. So we can do a moment of silence to honor Lorenzo Plasma's life. Canada at Prize in downtown uh, Minneapolis, and we are asking for our elected officials to do more for essential workers who definitely need action. We still need consistent personal protective equipment. We still need essential pay. We still need truth when it comes to this virus and who is contracted and not so much who, but when people are uh, contracting this virus and the safety measures that need to be put in place to make sure that everyone is safe. Our members on the front line who are securing and cleaning the areas in the Twin Cities that all of us depend on and businesses depend on since the pandemic began are mostly empty buildings now, but even then we've already seen two janitors die from COVID, and we have over 230 members who have reported having contracted the virus and are survivors. In Minnesota, we've seen a total percentage of COVID confirmed cases to be at around 1% of the total population. Our retail members have reported close to eight percent, in our commercial janitorial, three percent, and for our security and airport workers, we're at two percent. As the summer goes on, we believe that it's only going to get worse, and we need action from our elected officials. It is with great state and with honor that I introduce you to Lorenzo's daughter, Sandra, his youngest, to talk about what this loss has meant for her and her family. Okay. Okay. Cuando estés lista. All right, aquí estamos. We're ready for you, Sandra. Ya yeah, estamos listos para escuchar de okay. ti. Palma's youngest daughter. He has been a worker his whole life. He was born in Mexico, in Achicapan, and has five children. Most recently, he was not only a worker of the working class, but was classified as an essential worker. Okay. He doesn't have any reinsurances from the businesses that he was working for and he like many thousands and thousands of workers we are worried know what is to come of frontline workers like my father lorenzo okay solidarity is my father's affiliation with the union. The union has supported us through a solidarity fund, but right now, since he's no longer a union member, we don't have the same protection. My family and I are struggling and we've been forced to set up a GoFundMe to be able to help his meet.
0: continue talking about the socioeconomic impacts of COVID-19 on our communities as this show progresses. But for now, that audio from SEIU Local 26 opens the doors for that discussion to be had in future episodes. Just a few announcements and just a reminder before I let you go today. Um, First of all, you're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. And thank you all for joining us today. Um, So The Uptake, where I serve as executive director, will be hosting its next community journalism training on August 27 from 4 uh, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. via Zoom. More details can be found on Facebook and you'll need to email me to RSVP. My contact information can also be found on the Facebook page. On August 29 from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., there will be a counter protest happening against a Back the Blue rally at Minneapolis City Hall or beginning at Minneapolis City Hall. And on August 30th, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., there will be an online panel discussion with Minnesota's interpreters of color hosted by the Minnesota Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf. Details are on Facebook. That's it for now. We'll see you next week for our next episode as we continue to explore social movements and community organizing across the Twin Cities. For now, thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. You can reach us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com. You can find us at journalismofcolor.com. And you can listen to all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and several other podcast platforms. Thanks to Manny Mestas for this episode's opening and closing theme music. And for now, you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thank you.